Hi, this is Chris. And this is John. And you're listening to the Nerdy Dadcast. things like the crazy times they're still crazy uh, nothing has changed it's been over a month now and we've been talking a little bit about uh, you know the COVID-19 uh, uh, pandemic that we're we're encountering how it's impacted our, our families and you know us as fathers and uh, when you and I sort of chatted about uh, our, our episode uh, that we're about to do we sort of thought you know let's do something a little bit lighter um, and I thought we could go and, you know, talk about toilet paper. I mean, it's light, right? I mean, it's rare, though, too. So, no, and it's not that exciting, honestly. I don't know. I, okay, if you if you get some good quality TP right now and it's in plentiful supply, that's pretty darn exciting. <laughs> it's almost, almost as exciting as going to the grocery store and seeing shelves of flour. But we've already had the episode where I spent, what, like 45 minutes talking about bidets, so let's not bother with that tonight. <laughs> no, we, we decided we were going to talk a little bit about uh, the games that we grew up with. I mean, you know, John, you and I are, are a little uh, older into, uh, so to speak. I, I often refer to myself as a, a crazy old man, uh, and it is possible that uh, there are those of you who are uh, older than us, which is perfectly okay, and what we're about no, to talk about... What we're about to talk about might resonate. Um, you might be younger than us, and what we're going to be talking about is like seriously. They, there were games like that. Well, yeah, there are. In fact, uh, something I had just stumbled on uh, recently was the uh, the Internet Archive has actually released, uh, and I don't know if "released" is a, an appropriate term. Maybe they've archived a ton of DOS games. We're talking like old school. If it fit on that floppy disk. Which, for again, some of you would be like blowing your mind. It was gold because you could take it with you to school, and instead of doing like keyboarding, you'd play the game. Or instead of your business ed class, you'd play the game. Or instead of like Turtle or Oregon Trail, you'd play the game. So maybe I'm dating myself here. But uh, you know what? Let's uh, stop beating around the bush. Uh, let's get immediately a whole lot nerdy. Since we chatted about uh, talking about sort of the games that we grew up on, the one that sort of, you know, brings back memories for me is Oregon Trail. I already talked a little bit about it. I would presume you had an opportunity yourself to play the OG Oregon Trail. You know what? I never actually did. It wasn't a thing. Like, really? I know a lot of people had it in school, I guess. Yeah, and that's where I We didn't. It. We never had that. So, I mean, I didn't actually play it until, you know, probably on my iPhone, I think, was the first time I actually went back and played the Oregon Trail. And then also, you know, there's all sorts of knockoffs on it over the years. But, yeah, the original one, I didn't play back in the day. Really? See, Oregon Trail was maybe the second, I guess, you know, and I I mean, I played a lot of games as I was growing up, but in school, there were sort of two games. There was one called Turtle, which introduced the concept of coding um, and essentially had to draw certain shapes and all of that based on the commands you entered. And then the Oregon Trail was the next one. And the, the correlation was that it was teaching you, like, uh, North American history. But one... Sure. But two, the fact that you could die of dysentery is an interesting topic to introduce to young, impressionable elementary school students. Like at the time, oh, dysentery was bad. And yes, 
quite clearly many people suffered from it uh, on, on these long journeys that were taking place as, you know, sort of European expansion into North America moved west. But it wasn't until I was older where I truly understood what dysentery actually was. And it's like, what the actual what? And it's interesting, again, because, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, we are of a certain age that when we were growing up, there you couldn't just Google this. There was no backup. We could go to the library and do some research on it. But we didn't know that, you know, dysentery was no longer something that needed to be worried about. So, And you couldn't just say, hey, Google, tell me about dysentery because that wouldn't – that didn't work either. So that's actually, yeah, some pretty serious um, things to just throw on a young well, lad or lattice or whatever. Yeah, and I mean, that the game itself, like, if, if Grandma got it, it was like, oh, well. <laughs> Grandma got this scary. Yeah, that's true. Gra- Grandma's probably not going to last too many more turns. Um, I think the most egregious part that would have occurred is when, like, your sister got, like, you know, kidnapped by an eagle, um, or if you were hunting and the bear got you or something like that. Um, and then ultimately, you know, when you tried to ford the river, you didn't make it. I, I don't think I ever actually finished the game. I don't know you can finish that game. I don't know. The the river was the first true end game boss. But I, I mean, that, that was what introduced me to, to games. And then I remember a friend of mine, uh, his family had a Commodore 64. And I, I distinctly remember playing, I think the game was Load Runner. And uh, really enjoyed it. I think there was another one. Montezuma's Revenge was another one. Like, and these sort of, the memories are fuzzy. Um, so my but, first uh, one that comes to mind was, uh, I was probably, I was probably five. And this is back in, this back in the pre-Nintendo days even. It wasn't, Nintendo didn't exist yet. But the Atari 2600. And... Mm-hmm. We weren't we weren't a well off family. We couldn't afford a twenty six hundred, which I believe at that time was about three hundred dollars in nineteen eighties oh, yeah. money, which you know is probably oh. like a thousand dollars today. And for the system, it is it, it was kind of a ridiculous expense, but it was cool as all heck. And I mean, so we went. We, there was a video store right around the corner from our house, and you would go to the video store and you would rent the Atari twenty six hundred. Oh, yeah, I, I did that, too. That's the thing. So I remember very early on the classic game Adventure, where you're this little square, and you go, and there's actually, it's pretty graphically intense for that era, and you can go, and there's different colored castles and different colored keys, and most of all, there's dragons. There's three dragons, and they come along, and they eat you. And they're actually really scary for a five-year-old. I mean, I remember being freaked out by these things, having nightmares from them for months afterwards. Mm -hmm. But uh, that game was sort of my gateway portal where I was like, this is amazing. And after that, I was really, I was hooked young and early and they got me good. Yeah. Like I remember, so yeah, I remember going to the video store and renting an Atari 2600 and, um, once, you know, everything came in this like giant, like suitcase and you, you could rent it for like the weekend for like 50 bucks or something, which again, back then wasn't 50 bucks as we know. I it think today. you had to leave grandma as a deposit though. Grandma had to say <laughs> that too. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, I do remember, you know, my, my family for special occasions, we'd go to the, the sort of video store near where we were and we rent a Nintendo entertainment system, the old school NES. Um, the first actual gaming system that we owned was an NES. I remember my grandparents gave it to, to my sister and I, and actually I had my brother too but he was quite young at the time as a christmas gift and we had super mario brothers duck hunt because i actually that was when games came with the console and uh, we got one game with it ninja gaiden which to this day is still in my mind 
the hardest game that has ever been created. You can't convince me otherwise. No, that's fair. Um, for me, the NES was, I think it was about grade four, I got that, where we had a friend of the family sort of pass, and she she left money to my mother. And my mother was a single mother, and so she let us each get an 80s thing. And I remember my sister got that big cricket doll that talked, and you put t- cassette tapes in it, and it talked. Again, 80s trivia. But uh, for me, it was the NES, and I bought the, I bought the basic system. It just came with Mario Bros. at that point. didn't even have the zapper. And it came, I had that, and I bought, on the first day, The Legend of Zelda. And the original Legend of Zelda, oh, I got... It was a good one. It was. And, I mean, it was amazing for its time. And that, again, was one of those things where, yeah, you could search around. And, like I've mentioned in previous podcasts, where these days I don't have the patience, so I will just Google something if I get stuck on something. But on the original Legend of Zelda, you could just wander around and do things. And under a bush, there'd be a hole. And it might take you three or four months to find that hole, but you'd be so psyched when you did. And yeah, all the amazing things and then going through it and beating it and having a second quest. Wow. That was amazing. So, so yeah, that was a big one for me. It was Zelda and the original Mario. I mean, of course, everyone's, everyone will say Mario and that's a, that's a very good one as well. Yeah. The, I mean, the NES I think was for, for those in our generation was the springboard. Uh, There were a few people that would have, um, maybe been on the Sega, you know, itself. The, I believe they actually called it the Sega Entertainment System. Master uh, System. Confused. Sega Master, Master System. System. Okay, yeah. Sega Master System. Yeah. Um, and then from there, Sega Genesis, Super Nintendo, blah, blah, blah. And they sort of went different ways. And then there, we've, you know, all sorts of other platformers out there. There was a TurboGrafx 16 at one point. Uh, I think Neo Geo got into the mix uh, for a bit. Um, we had Sony's first, which was Dreamcast. Now they had PlayStation. Microsoft got in the game of the Xbox. Nintendo still kicked around. Sega decided to get out of the consoling business. Um, to go back though, to correct you there, because you're not you're no. not correct. Sony Dreamcast. That's Sega Dreamcast. So, well, okay, we didn't. Okay, wasn't it Sony and Sega though? I thought no, Sony and Nintendo. So if you want to go into the absolute uh... geeky history. Sony and Nintendo were the original ones that were working together to put a system together. And they actually, I saw it actually recently, the prototype of the system was sold for a ridiculously high amount because it's like the only one in existence. But mm-hmm. as the story goes, Nintendo and Sony were working together and then, and they had enough that they were in a working prototype and they had the system going and then Nintendo pulled out and went with somebody else to do, which was the Philips CDI, which came out, it was another CD system and they sort of... Hmm branched off at that point and so the, the Philips CDI which nobody I don't I didn't know anybody that had one but it has like the most horrible Nintendo licensed games that you'll ever you'll ever know but uh, yeah so so the Dreamcast was Sega's last system or was a Saturn their last system I can't remember no Saturn then Dreamcast yeah so Dreamcast was Sega's last system okay so yeah I mean I I was a Nintendo guy I yeah mean, one of the th- one of the things about you know, us growing up is that if you had a console in your home, that sort of positioned you into sort of that world. Like you didn't necessarily, you know, play others. So like I had a friend who had a Sega master system. And so we say, you know, I'd go to his place, we'd play Sega titles. He'd come to my place. He plays like, like altered beast. And I think, uh, what was the other one that he had that I really enjoyed? Um, but I actually, so, I mean, I, what I found growing up and there is probably absolutely no truth to this. Games that were really successful in sort of arcade boxes, I found always found their way to Sega. And I know that's not exclusively true, but like Altered Beast, like I remember going to the movie theater, playing Altered Beast before a movie. And then, you know, I could go to his place and play it there. Um, 
See, the funny thing with Altered Beast, though, it, like everybody that talks about Altered Beast now talks about how horrible it is. I have that same memory, though. I remember going to a friend's house and playing Altered Beast and thinking, wow, this is amazing and going through it. And I don't have, you know, those are those are the memories of a 12 year old, probably. So mm-hmm. I don't have any common current memories to go up against. And I'm sure it probably is kind of a horrible game. But um, but yeah, back in those days, I loved it. It was great. Yeah, I mean, another sort of game, the sort of arcade to console, Ghosts and Goblins. Um, I really enjoyed that. I mean, there, again, we're sort of bouncing around here, but like, yeah, Alter Beast was one that I, I really enjoyed. Um, but like, I, again, I was a Nintendo guy growing up, so I then went to the SNES. I had a GameCube. Um, as I've now aged, I essentially own all the consoles. Huh. You can do that when you're growing up. Right, yeah, because I have money and they're cheaper now. Um all things considered, but like, I, I just, you know, for me being a console gamer, cause that was much more accessible at the time computers really in, in the early going were for education, uh, for like computer programmers, business. And, and, and it wasn't something you would have like the term personal computer wasn't really a thing until, you know, I know there, there are sort of what we would now understand as sort of windows or P- windows PCs. But I think, you know, Apple was the first real player to get into the personal computer realm. And even they were looking at it at like, ah, this is educational, but it's, if we can get into people's homes, we'll go through the students. Like they were sort of already thinking along the, the marketing pathway. Yeah. So I mean, for us, you mentioned Oregon trail, but for us, it was all about Carmen San Diego. So mm. in our school, we had Carmen San Diego. And I mean, in a in a nutshell, I would say that's a far more educational program than uh, Oregon Trail because at least you're flying around the world and you're picking up various treasures and trying to yeah. hunt down carbon. Then you you find other countries than just you know the Western U.S. So so yeah, that was the one in our school that we really did. Other than that, I mean, I didn't do a whole lot of computing in school other than typing tutors and programming yeah. languages that we wouldn't even recognize as programming languages today. Yeah, well, and I, you know, like I, I know, looking back, when did we get our first personal computer? It was actually a hand-me-down from my dad's work. Um, it was barely ran. And I remember when we first got it, the first thing I, I tried to do is what games could I install on it? Um, it didn't run very well. I think I had the original Warcraft on it. Um, uh, like I remember, you know, plugging it into the, uh, the modem into the, it's like 2400 baud modem into the phone jack, tying up the phone line late at night um, to get on to like, I don't know if it was Warcraft or Warcraft 2 that had the original Battle.net, which was like a dial-in service, but, mm-hmm. you know, rock socks. Uh, a friend of mine, his his father worked for uh, HP. And, uh, uh, you know, he and I used to sort of, that's, we just set up a, like a LAN game just through the internet. So as we would have known it back then, you know, to be di- direct dial into the other person. Um, but when I first got my own computer, um, the game that I used to put all my time into was Dune 2. Okay. I actually never had played the original Dune and I'd never actually read the books. Uh, it wasn't until I played Dune 2 that I suddenly took the, you know, I got this fascination of the Harkonnen, the Atreides, the Ordos, the Fremen or Freemen. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, for me, when I was growing up, I had I didn't never had a computer myself. Like I mentioned earlier, my my mother was never she never had the money for it, and so I dreamed about it. And I had like mm-hmm. I had a paper route. I tried to get you know I wanted to do 
plans where I paid a certain amount of money to or payment plans to get that computer, but it never actually ended up happening. So I had a buddy that I spent a lot of time with in high school and uh, he was, you know, I got a lot of nerdy cred from him because back in those days he ran what was called a bulletin board, which is, yeah, there you go. So for those who don't know, sort of the precursor to the modern website in a sense, but you actually had to call through the telephone lines and you would connect and the, the, the noise that, you know, you may or may not, I mean, if you're of a certain age, you will recognize that noise but uh, yeah, and then you held up the phone line all night long, and we actually—he actually got a separate phone line. He was, you know, one of the coolest nerds I knew because he had his own phone line to do all of that, and so we didn't have to worry about his mom. And yeah, we so we started there and had all of those connections. And as it went, I mean, I'm luckily out of you know the ability now to cast guilt on myself but those were the early days of the internet and that that was sort of you know he he ran what was called the pirate bulletin board as well hmm. so we See, got, I, I did not run that yeah one i didn't have the wherewithal to do it and two i was bloody worried the fuzz would come yeah out. and they didn't but so you had like a 13 year old running a pirate bulletin board which basically meant that he got free games illegally and people would send him games but back in those days it was honestly for your modern for your release at the time your big release at the time it would take 16 to 18 hours just to download that game so it was actually easier if you knew somebody that had it you just go over to their house and bother part of the discs it wasn't really worthwhile but yeah well, that was, and that was of, the thing 16 discs of game you yeah. had to actually have to then run the install of disc 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 yeah yes yeah, so we played i mean all the original like the original civilization and all of the sierra games you know like police quest and king's quest oh. and Quest for Glory, or we called it Heroes Quest because we loved the first one so much. And all of those were, you know, we spent so much time and so many nights and so many sleepovers just playing those like all night long. We would sit there and eat cereal all nights and just play computer games until the dawn came. And so, yeah, we had all of the geek cred and all the original computer games. Yeah, the police quest was like Sierra, first of all. I some of their games, I mean, most of their games were just iconic. I mean, all the quests, King Quest, uh, Space Quest, Police Quest, blah blah blah. But Police Quest was tough. Like, if you didn't go and do your car pre check, game over. Oh, yeah. Like, it was like, you know, sure, there were games like where certain conditions would occur and you'd make a mistake and that would be game over. But they had, if I recall correctly, and I, you'll probably know this better than me. But they had actually done so much research that they wanted to ensure that Police Quest was as as a ki- close and akin to real life as possible, which is why that car pre-check was like an end game condition. Yeah. And you would go and you would do those things. And if you missed it, it would it would quit out on you. It would give you a bad ending. And then you'd have to reload and start over at some previous point in the past. You didn't necessarily get to start yeah. from exactly where you were. So, yeah, you got really careful about those things. You know, and it was, and it was hardcore. Like, you you know, like I think about today, like, let's say I'll use Grand Theft Auto and I know GTA is, is not the most police centric game. However, let's say they had a version that was the game almost encourages you to break the rules. Uh, police quest, like I, I, not that I have any experience with this, but I'm positive if, if you had the ability to spit on the ground, um, you would be written up and it would have been game over condition. Like you broke, you, you happen to go and, you know, break wind in the presence of a commanding officer game over. Like mm-hmm. it was brutal. 
Yeah, and then games like, I mean, we felt really adult because we snuck out Leisure Suit Larry, which, you know, ah, the original. LSL would make an appearance. And yeah, you have to mention it, obviously, if you're talking about Sierra. But, you know, back in those days when you had girls or computer graphics that were, you know, not even 8-bit at that point, And to see the little sprites and bikinis and stuff. And we thought that was just awesome. And now you look at it today with VR and everything else. It's like not even the same story. But yeah, that was that was amazing back in the day. We were so psyched to see all that. Like as as a teenage, a teenager, a teenage boy growing up and in the world of LSL. And we're talking like, you know, maybe 16 bit graphics, I think would have been probably what I would have first seen. So there was a little more sort of contour and texture with the different sprites that were possible. But, uh, you know, uh, not that this is NSFW, but you would have essentially like this sort of pale sort of square with this little sort of square in, in the middle, exactly in the middle. And there would be two side by side and you knew what those were. And when Larry got to, you know, see those, you'd see them like move up just one block and one down one block. And you'd be like, oh my goodness, look at like... That's amazing. I know. Yeah. Right? That's growing up. I presume that's what they looked like in real life. Right? <laughs> and then, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, all of that. And then, I mean, but, but, but yeah, going back to consoles, which is, you know, is my mm-hmm. gaming. It still is to this day pretty much my gaming. Um, yeah, I was a Nintendo guy as well all the way through. Like you said, I mean, it was the there was always one kid you knew. There was always one kid that had like the Genesis or one kid that had Sega Mathis mm-hmm. and one kid that had Turbo Graphics. So I got a little bit of that. And there was at one point that I bought a Sega Genesis myself, but it was well past its time at that point once it was all retro. And I mean, going back to the Atari 2600 story, I mean, those things were 250 bucks when they first came out. I got one when I was about 22, I think it was. And I thought it was a huge score because I got it for five bucks at a swap meet with like, 50 games. I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, that. But yeah, going up, I was Nintendo. I mean, every time a new Nintendo system came out, I would get that system, and that was the one in the house. It wasn't until actually, like, even when Sony originally had their first system, I wouldn't play a PlayStation. I certainly wouldn't play an Xbox. Forget that. Uh, well, so I I never actually owned the original PlayStation. Um, the A friend of mine had it. Um, the Xbox my brother and I both had one, the original Xbox. Um, and I, so he, I can't remember, he must've gotten it as like a gift. And then I ended up buying one so that I, you know, my brother had one could play and he suffered from a red ring. Ah, yes. Microsoft was kind enough to swap him out a new one, which worked for one day before it too red ringed. Um, and for those that don't know what a red ring of death is, uh, search and you can understand why, Microsoft put themselves behind the eight ball. And despite everything that Sony has done wrong, people always bring up red ring of death as being a problem. Um, it wasn't until I convinced my now wife, she was my girlfriend at the time to buy a PS two that I really got to embrace the PlayStation experience. And I will concede since then I've been a PlayStation guy first. Like I own all the consoles, but like my PS3, I purchased that before I, I, you know, found myself into the world of an Xbox 360. Um, my PS4, I had that on pre-order well before I picked up an Xbox One. I now actually have a PS4 Pro. My original PS4 started of issues. I upgraded to the Pro. And I will be the guy who will pre-order his PS5 once pre-order is a, a possibility. 
even though I have a Switch and the PSP, a PS Vita, <laughs> and some of the older retro consoles that have now come back out and re-released. Like, I think I have a retro SNES kicking around somewhere. Yeah, I've got two. I've got the mini NES and the mini SNES because, yeah, I didn't know. Like, it was one of those things. I saw it come out, the original mini NES, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, I guess. But but by the time you've been a fan for enough years, you've paid for all those games so many times because you got mm-hmm. them in the original time when you had the original system. And then, you know, once the Wii came out, there was virtual console, so you buy it again. And then the Switch comes out, and there's a new console, and you buy the same game again. So I've probably played, bought, like, the original Super Mario Brothers uh, eight or nine times in my life, at least. So once it comes to, you know, the new systems, you don't necessarily do that anymore. So... Yeah, I so I I mean the reason I got the the SNES Mini I, is in my mind I'm like oh this would be a perfect console for my daughter for Baby Force to sort of potentially you know play around with and she's not old enough to really do that but I just sort of in my, like you know because it's like how hard can it be There's only so many buttons Yeah exactly but, So I mean my wife got me to um, my wife got me the original NES Mini for Christmas. It wasn't until I actually had it in my hands that I realized, wow, this just, it feels good and it feels cool and it feels like the original mm-hmm. NES, even though it's much smaller. So at that point, then I was like, oh, I need the SNES too. So, and that was when there were still limited amounts of them. So I actually ended up going and following Best Buy on Twitter and they were announcing them at the time. And I went at like 9 a.m. to the store on opening morning and got myself a Super NES Mini too. So, I both of mm-hmm. those. Yeah, you kind of have to. Yeah. The um, SNES. So a friend of mine in high school, Morgan, he uh, he owned an SNES. This is before I actually, um, I, had, I had got one of my own. And uh, he had uh, Final Fantasy 2. So for us in North America, Final Fantasy 2, I believe, is like five? In- the numbers always confuse me. Remember the- yeah, but what we knew is NNA is Final Fantasy 2. He had that. That was my first entry into the world, the true world of an RPG. Like I'd, I'd sort of, I'd, I'd liken Zelda to that sort of concept with the story and the immersiveness. But it was with Zelda, you were just one character, hack and slash, break down the secrets, find the hole, take the sword because the world is dangerous, all that stuff. But Final Fantasy was like another level onto itself, and I remember we would invest so much time. And you'd be like, oh, wow, we're almost to the end. But it's not even the end. It was like the end of a chapter, which is kind of interesting because the re-release, which I've played a little bit, is fully embracing this chapter concept. Uh, Final Fantasy VII, sorry. But Final Fantasy II is a title I have now bought. I bought it on the... When I got my SNES, I actually bought it there. Um, I had purchased it for... Was it the PSP or the PS Vita? I think I had it on my PS3. Um, I haven't bought it for my on uh, my Switch yet, but I don't know if it's available. Like it's just that's the title. I have continued to buy it again and again and then again. And I've yet to oh. it. Yeah, I um, the original ones. Like I played the first three North American releases. So again, like you say, the numbers are shifty, and I don't understand. Three is seven, and two is five, or something. But anyways. It, again, it was one of those Nintendo fanboy things where Nintendo lost the games and they had the first three and then they switched over and Square Enix went to Sony. And at that point, I stopped mm-hmm. playing them because I didn't own a Sony and I didn't, didn't 
wasn't interested in that. So, so yeah, seeing the remaster and seeing people excited about that, I'm like, wow, that's cool. And I'm almost tempted to play it. But at the same time, you know, I'd never played it in the first place. So it's one of those things. Yeah. Well, yeah, like Final Fantasy VII. So Final Fantasy II I really enjoyed. Subsequent Final Fantasy titles never really connected with me. But there was something about seven that just totally, you know, sucked me in and I invested so much time in the seven. And so when I saw that the remaster was going to be made, I, I, I put down my money at the time. I pre-ordered it like the moment I could, this was like four years ago now, five, like it was so long ago. I can't remember how long ago. Uh, it only just shipped recently. It is a beautiful game. Like, I mean, what the, they've truly done a remaster where it's new graphics, sort of new, you know, um, sound architecture. Uh, I have not been able to play a lot more because in the world that we live in right now, TV time is actually at a limit, not because it's not there to be used. It's that there are now more people using it. And, you know, Chris is number three mm. on the totem pole in this house, <laughs> especially when I have all of my, you know, computers and all of that in here. So it's sort of the world I live in, but yeah, Final Fantasy two. That, that one brings me back. Like, I, I think if I were to give you sort of the games that have had the greatest impact on me, uh, and again, I'm talking video games here, but uh, probably OG uh, would have been, would have been Doom 2. Um, I really got into the Warcraft series. So Warcraft 2 is one that, um, you know, really resonated. Uh, you know, Command and Conquer, like RTS has been my thing. I've really enjoyed them. Final Fantasy 2, Final Fantasy 7. And then in more modern times, Halo as a series has been one I really enjoyed. And Halo is what then got me into the world of Destiny, which is you know put together by by uh, Bungie, who originally brought us uh, what we know as as Halo. And you know things have changed and evolved over the years, uh, but now the the really the game that I play most often than not is Overwatch. I'm in Overwatch. It's not really, I, I look at that game and I don't necessarily see what about it um, inspires me to play as much as I do, but I enjoy doing it. Well, one thing I do know is I have made a number of friends who also play it too. And so I am a social gamer. And so now I find I gravitate towards the games that the people I know are playing. I'm not a social gamer. I'm the other way around. So I play very much the solo games. I mean, it, I was, you know, my social gaming is when you have four people on the couch all playing the game. That's sort of my social gaming. Absolutely. And I mean, that was where we originally had it with sort of like the Super NES when that originally we first were able to play four players on a game. And that was amazing. And even the NES, I mean, the NES had a dongle that you could attach other controllers into. And a few games worked for it where you could play four players. So those games were sort of the ones that blew us away. And you go back to like the, the real classics, like, you know, especially once the N64 came out, you've got your GoldenEye. Goldeneye. Everybody, I mean, we would come home at lunch every day and play Goldeneye, and man, I was good at Goldeneye. People oh, yeah. hated me because I would always be in that one little closet that they couldn't see, and I would come out and shoot them every time. And so that was sort of my uh, multiplayer. Current multiplayer can be hard because, I mean, like things like Red Dead Redemption, we've, I've mentioned before, I was playing back a while ago, but it's got a whole online world. But you go out there, and basically, from what I understand, you. You turn it on and you jump into the world and you get shot. And then you restart yeah. and you get shot. And you restart and you get shot. And I mean, that to me, I don't need that little uh, 12-year-old who probably shouldn't be playing the game in the first place shooting me and then calling, I got you, old man, or whatever, you know, happens. So, Well, it's usually no, not as no, exactly. as I was, We have ratings, <laughs> you know, I can't, can't use the words. 
But uh, yeah, so I mean, for me, it's largely single player. If it's going to be multiplayer, I kind of do like, you know, I've gotten into Tetris 99 on the Switch, for example. That's a pretty great one where you're playing 99 other people at the same time, Tetris. And I've managed to beat it a few times now. I think I've taken first 10 or 11 times. But it's a good one for me where I just like to get, if I'm if I'm having a bad week or I just want to get into something, I just sit there and stare at that and let my fingers go and let my thoughts go away and that's just, that's it. So yeah, that's sort of my yeah. my more, uh, that's my, my therapy, I think, gaming therapy. You know, I kind of forgot about Coach Co-op. Coach Co-op into itself, like, and it, it still exists, um, I would say, primarily on the Nintendo space. You can sort of couch co-op with computers like the, um, you know, you don't know Jack series against that type of stuff. But it, it, couch co-op truly is, I think, owned by Nintendo. They figured it out and they really sort of look to cater to it. But like you go back and yeah, Goldeneye. That, like, I remember a friend of mine had a bunch of TVs and we would go and set them up and use like a, a video splitter, which back then it wasn't, this wasn't what we executed was not easily executable because you had to essentially split video and audio channels, which were not intended to be split. And so what we did is we would funnel audio through a stereo system. We would then split the video channel, like video up from one TV to the other. And then we would team up like, cause you could have four players. It would be, we'd do two V two and we would put like paper across the section of the TV. That wasn't your team. Cause we were truly trying to make it, like much harder to know where the other team was because in four squares, like, oh, I just glanced down and, oh, John's in the closet again. This way I had to have to like completely take my head off my TV and look somewhere else to see, you know, John's in, in you know, hiding in that, that closet. But a game like Mario Kart, I don't know how many times people would full tilt in Mario Kart. Like it was... It was brutal. Like Mario Kart that people now know today is not like the Mario Kart that I think we So that's a good on. point. I mean, which Mario Where, Kart are you talking about? You're talking about the original Super Mario Kart, just the first one? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. The original one. Because it introduced this this sort of competitive racing couch co-op dynamic thing. And like I remember uh, my friend in high school, Craig and I, we would used to we'd go to his place. So I when I was in high school in the later part of my education. Uh, my family had moved to an entirely different company on the other or company, another different uh, area on the other side of the Fraser river. And so I had to take the bus in and to Richmond was where I went to school. And, uh, I would essentially Craig and I would hang out at his place. Cause I didn't really have a home to go to during the school day. And what did we do? We played a lot of Mario Kart. And he and I, every day, would invest all this time in Mario Kart. We'd invest it in the morning, at lunch, after school. And then I'd go cop the bus, go home. And it got to the point where, like, he and I could time jumping red shells. So the homing shell, you couldn't hit us. You fire that red shell, and we knew, the, like, based on sound, based on timing, how to jump. And it would then, it would essentially circle, and where it should hit you, you would be in the air, and it would pop. So what started to occur is that Craig and Chris were essentially racing themselves. But anytime there were, like, parties, people would get so frustrated because the moment Craig where I got into a race, it's like, okay, no one can beat these two jokers. And some people, oh my goodness, did they like full on tilt. Oh yeah, to this day with even modern Mario Karts, I mean, if you get to a situation where you're playing a bunch of people in a room, I will 
nine times out of 10 beat everyone there. It's all those skills from the original game. And I mean, these days the games are a lot softer in a lot of ways. And honestly, like, I don't know if it's just our TVs and it's just the technology has changed now, but I remember Mario Kart originally being just so amazing and so cool. And granted, you know, we've changed over the years. Rainbow Road? But yeah, I, I played it on the, the mini Super NES, which I was mentioning earlier, but uh, it's hard to look at now. I couldn't get through more than one course because it was just so hard and jarring on the eyes. And it was like, I'm used to the smoothness and texture and beauty of the current game. And it's like, no, that's not it anymore. So yeah. yeah. Well, I think one of the things that we sometimes forget was that the televisions, like the old CRT televisions that we were using, um, you know, and, and the frequency is to which they were, the display was being shown to us. These devices were built to make that look good when inherently they were not that good at all. Now that we have these much better, clearer pictures, those devices just aren't, they're not compatible. It's stuff that square yeah. peg in a round hole. Um, but on, on the note of Mario Kart, the blue shell was, was created to deal with yeah. people like you and yeah. I. Yeah. And so I don't like it was the yeah, great I don't equalizer. Really hate it, but you know, I, I definitely agree. I can see the the complaints. And but then again, Mario Kart's supposed to be a fun game. It's not supposed to be a all of racing game. So yeah, I, I can I get it. I I don't like thinking of blue shell. But I'm complaining. Did you know anyone who owned the? Did you know anyone who ever owned the Nintendo Power Glove? No, no, the Power Glove. Well, not until after the fact, and I do, I do actually recall knowing somebody that used it, but never as the glove itself. It just had like a D-pad on it that you could use if you held it. So I think really it didn't work very well. And I mean, so many of those peripherals oh. that came out at the time that had one or two games. I mean, you can look at like the the first one I can think of was the NES Power Pad, which I think had two games. Well, it was. Yeah, but that power pad was like what we would now know as like. like oh, totally! DVR and but we would sit there. We would just we would drum it. So there was like a track and field game. We would sit there and yeah. drum it with our hands rather than actually run on the thing. And so I mean, there's so many. Well, Nintendo's obviously the, the original company to have the peripherals that they only gave one or two games to, like you know the, the Rob the Robot being the most famous. Well, I was gonna say so Rob. I, yeah, I had Gyromite. I never played the other one. I don't, and we never actually played it properly either because it was kind of annoying to actually go through the levels and try to do the robot properly. So yeah, I had him, and I mean, I wish I still had him because he's a beautiful thing. It would look good sitting on a on my fireplace or something if I had a fireplace, my mantle, wherever you put things that you have like that. But yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I recently asked about the power glove. So a friend of mine had a power glove, and I remember playing Punch Out with it. And that was that was the one game that sort of worked. But the problem was the way the the concept was: is you still had the D pad, so the the glove sort of reacted to like adjustment. It wasn't, and I, you know, like I remember playing Punch Out with the Wii, and it's like, oh my god, I can like totally box here. This is so cool. That's no. not what the power glove was. The power glove, I mean, it, I could just sit there and like you know juggle juggle my fingers and do things. But the reason I actually ask about the power glove is it just got me thinking back to one of the uh, OG video game movies, the wizard with Fred Savage. Um, that's where, so I mean, marketing has been a thing all along, but like, you know, that movie partnered with Nintendo to introduce this concept of the power glove, like this, you know, phenomenal device, but they also, it was where super Mario brothers three, you know, got it's like fame, the fame. Oh yeah. Anyhow. If you haven't watched this movie, I think it's available to be no, streamed. No, it's brilliant. Somewhere. You have to. No, it it's really is. It's not a good, good movie. movie it's brilliant. But, but it's, 
No, actually, yeah, I'm just I'm ashamed. The Wizard, I I saw that in the theaters when I was like you know twelve or something because it was it was 1989. I remember that, and I was really into it at the time. And yeah, the whole concept of seeing Super Mario three, and I mean, in a pre-internet world, the voices on the schoolyard said, you know, in Japan they have Super Mario Bros. seven already. They're just finally getting around to three here. And so that was a big thing to have this sort of promotional campaign, unlike mm-hmm. anything we'd ever seen, have a video game and a movie. Oh, that's amazing. So that and the other thing that summer was the Nintendo World Championship where they came around mm-hmm. in and they had uh, rigs. They had big trucks that were full of Nintendo systems. And you came and you got to play and you were playing to be the best in your area, best in Canada, best in North America, whatever it was. Best at splash. Yeah, so for me, I I was there wasn't one where I was growing up, so I had to go to Coquitlam Center, Mm -hmm. which was quite a trip for a thirteen-year-old on the bus in a in a time when the SkyTrain didn't just go there, and you know, well, neither did the bus. So we took like a day trip to get there, and I will always remember going there, and I got my butt kicked because my God, I thought I was good, but the kids that were there were good. But then I learned, like I learned about secret warps that I had never seen before. The secret warp at the end of one two, where if you jump through the brick a certain way, there's a game glitch and it brings you to a different world than the actual warp. There, that blew my mind. And honestly, that was sort of you know, now all those things come out all the time, and we see all the breaks of games and stuff. But back well, then, stuff like that was, like, oh my god, that's amazing. Games done quick. Yeah, games yeah. done quick on you know whether it's on Twitch or whatever they're streaming so on those, these days. You can watch it. And these are these are people who are are using exploits. And yeah, those guys were the original speedrunners that would go through it. And I mean, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. yeah, I um, I remember if if I got a Nintendo Power magazine in the mail back when one there were magazines and two they actually came in the mail, but like. Every so often, Nintendo would embrace the the, the exploits, and maybe it was you know like you talked yes. about adventure. Um, you know, games have always had Easter eggs and things of that sort, and Nintendo has you know always had things like that in their game. But I think they used it from a marketing perspective for like Nintendo Power Magazine, uh, and then to give the game new life or longevity that didn't already exist by introducing the fact, oh, you know, in Super Mario Brothers, if you hit this brick a certain way, you can get stuck here, and then you can jump there and do this, and you go into another world. Like, that would be shared in Nintendo Power. And then what would I do? I'd fire up that game, stick it in the machine, and try to do it myself. To no avail. I was never good enough to actually do stuff. You've also got to mention when you're mentioning that stuff, the Nintendo Power Hotline. Where, you know, if you got... Oh, yes. Make sure you talk to yeah, your parents you're really before you a game, You could call a hotline where people actually had jobs and they would sit there and answer people, answer kids with Nintendo questions, pretty much. I think, I think it was like 15 it bucks was something, a call It was a, something. maybe a buck 45 a minute or something, and that could add up to 15 bucks a call pretty quickly. But yeah, I think I called once yeah. and I got permission once. I don't remember why I called or what game it was that I was calling about. Probably a Zelda, but you never know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I remember calling that one once, and then I think I got in trouble for having fifteen bucks on the phone bill that wasn't supposed to be there. Yeah. Well, and that was the thing too. We have to also appreciate these people who you were calling did not like have a computer that they could log in and Google the answer for. Like they themselves either were an expert of the game, they had a book or whatever type of material. They may have had like a computer, but it wasn't the extent that we see it today. So there was no guarantee you were calling and you were actually going to get the answer either. So, man, this is like, this is some way back stuff here. But uh, no, I, I so Adventure, and I actually never played it. 
first time I ever heard of adventure. Uh, reading mm. Ready Player One. That'll do it. And if you watch the movie, I think many people who might listen to our podcast, I mean, I would hope you've read the book. I actually thought it was a really good book. Um, if, but if you've seen the movie, I mean, uh, the gaming culture that we've grown up on, I mean, that was, that spoke to us. So was there one like really sort of offbeat, strange game that you and your friends really got into that nobody else did? Oh, was it the curse on monkey the original monkey island yeah absolutely yeah i mean i i had I, I, the problem is like the friend like the friends that i had growing up at the time like we sort of we all sort of like the same games and that's not because we were friends because we you know what i mean like it was just like monkey island was was one i mean it was popular but not you know not as many people really enjoyed it um and i i can think on arcade games um like i i loved bubble bubble and so when Bust a Move came out, where essentially you were the, you know, Bub and Bob, and you just, you know, essentially it's a puzzle game. Um, I was really good at it for some reason or another. Um, I don't know if was, I could like see like the different angles in that. Like, <laughs> I was good at it. But. Bubble Bubble is interesting in that it's like the one arcade game of that time where you didn't just, it didn't just take your quarter and you'd be done after like two minutes. I would play yeah, for an hour for, on a single quarter on Bubble Bobble, and I still can to this day. And my son and I were doing it not that long ago, and he was pretty blown away. Dad, why don't you ever die? And I was like, eh, I just can't. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, monkey. Yeah, the monkey on We had we had Super Dodgeball, and so Super Dodgeball classic. Oh. But uh, we had competition. I, I played it on my Switch. About a, so for the original NES yeah. version, we just we would go home at lunch hour. We would have Super Dodgeball competitions until they got taken over by Mario Kart, and then I think it went on to GoldenEye. But that was the original. It was it was Super Dodgeball, and just seeing those and seeing the uh, ridiculousness of it. And it's, I didn't realize at the time it's kind of branched off of uh, Double Dragon and all those original sort of series. So I've seen that in the sort of recent re- redos or re-releases. They're, they all come from the same spot, but uh, yeah, we we loved that, and I remember that was actually one of the biggest one of the biggest disappointments in the Super NES. Is back in the original days of Super NES when you saw the first stories for it and the first stories that it was coming out, the first promos. There was like a there was a Super Dodgeball that was like a robot dodgeball that never actually got released in North America. It was on the box, but it never actually got released, and we always wanted that game, and it just never ended up coming. I know. For shame. Yeah, I, I remember dodgeball. Like I, I, as I said, I played it a few weeks ago on uh, on my Switch. Uh, the struggle is like trying to remember how to actually play. And that's another interesting games. thing. Some of them, you, some of them, the moves are just still in your fingers. You don't even think about it. So I think for dodgeball, it was remarkably quick. How how quickly it came back to me after not playing it in twenty odd years. Well. Yeah, see, I, I, I'll concede. I never played a lot of it back then, but like, oh, yeah, Dodgeball, I remember this one, uh, where he's like a game like mm, ice yes. hockey on the NES. Like, oh, yeah, I totally, like, I was good at ice hockey, and you're right, it just just takes a... Um, oh, yeah, blade, both ice hockey uh, and Blade Steel, steel. and the arcade version of Blade Steel as well, which had the trackball. Oh. So it was different by the time it came to the Nintendo, but I remember playing the trackball version of Blades of Steel back in the arcade, and it was it blew my mind at the time. So yeah, I was I was more of a Blades of Steel guy when I was with my friends. We would play Blades of Steel. We would have we set up competitions, we set up tournaments, we we would draw all of the trackers and all the bars to get there. And I think 
my my guys were the Minnesota Snow Cones because they the Minnesota team was purple and green if I remember right. So I called them the Minnesota Snow Cones, and that was my team in Blades of Steel for the NES. Yeah, yeah. I used to every so often um, convince the uninformed that they needed to put their backup goaltender Bobby Nunn into net. I was that kind of guy. Oh, you know, I think. I mean, the conversation that we've had here, I mean, and I've made this clear, I think, in, in previous episodes, the if there's a rebirth of, of a genre, I want the RTS um, series to come back. I, I don't know if we will. Like, I miss the the sort of heady days of, you know, playing Warcraft, uh, playing Starcraft, playing uh, what I remember is Dune 2. I mean, Dune is getting a, a remake movie. You know, if there was ever an opportunity to, to bring back RTS, there it is. Although, again, I think we would see more of that into, like, the MMO or into the first-person shooter style and, um, that we're, we're getting. It's just, I, I, I really miss those games. Um, it's just me, but sort of brings me back. Yeah, and it's also, it's interesting, though, because, I mean, it's there's always that... Uh, golden light of retrospect where you look back at them and they were great games at the time but if you try to recreate that now it doesn't work so i mean we had like a, especially oh, yeah. in the early days of kickstarter i mean kickstarter is now 10 years old or whatever but in the early days of kickstarter a lot of those people of our youth that had the game series that had the king's quest that had the quest for glory like all the cr games we're talking about earlier they all had re- Kickstarters where they would ask for crowdfunding because those games went out of style. And when those games went out of style, those people could no longer make those games. And suddenly crowdfunding seemed like a really great opportunity for that. So I backed several of the early ones. And it's funny actually, because like this, the guys who did space quest were doing a, a redo, redo, redone space quest, but they couldn't use Roger Wilco or any of that because that was property of Sierra. So they've done this space quest adventure. I don't even remember what it's called at this point, but I backed that game seven years ago, and they're talking about releasing it this summer. So whether it will actually catch anything, and the Heroes Quest, the guys who made Quest for Glory, Lori and Corey Cole, they also ran one, and Quest for Glory was one of my games growing up. Like that, we spent so much time on that series and just loved it and went through every one. And it was one of those first games where you could actually build up your stats so you could build up your strength, and you could build up your climbing, and you could do all that. And then you could import it into the next game, so you'd have the same character. And that blew our minds at the time. But they did one, they did the Kickstarter. And the eventual game that we got, it was of the sort of same vein as that, but I couldn't really get into it anymore. And I still want to sit down and play it at one point. I've played probably half an hour of it. But those things that you know were really fantastic when I was a teenager, they aren't quite the same today. So, Yeah. Well, and you know what? That's a fair point. I think... We always we always reminisce about the good old days. They were good days. They are now old days, and I think it's the the, the ability to reminisce is which where we we almost um, um, uh, fantasize or stylize maybe more than more value upon them than they, they truly are. Also, the interesting thing about being a dad in this sense to bring it back to parenting a little bit. But uh, I had this whole plan for my son to play the original Legend of Zelda, and then I would graduate him to mm-hmm. the second one and all the way up. And yeah, yeah and he, so he did a little bit of the original Zelda, and that was sort of, I led him through a lot of it. And then I was just like, no, no, this is going to take too long, and no. So he can he can go ahead and play Breath of the Wild instead, and that'll, that'll work. So Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, to be quite frank, the way... 
the way forward, it would have taken like I mean, think of it like Final Fantasy. Imagine starting them, like in, in really the way that world is written. You're not missing. No, there's key games, and that's about it. But yeah, yeah. Oh man, this has been fun. I mean, I when I first thought we would sort of chat about this, I thought like, ah, maybe we'll put together like maybe 15, 20 <laughs> minutes, and here we are. You know, coming up to an hour. I know, and it's not even the Nerdy Granddad cast. I mean, we can sit there and go, back in my day, we we had an NES, and we had an Atari 2600, and we played it, and we loved it. Cause, so we didn't even do that, which is pretty good, I think. Yeah. If uh, you're still listening to us, and you're like, yeah, man, what about this game? Why didn't you talk about that game? It's quite possible that, you know, over the years, we played it, we enjoyed it, we just don't remember it. Like, I mean, case in point... I had completely forgotten about GoldenEye on the N64 until you mentioned Coach Co-op, and immediately it's like, oh, GoldenEye. I mean, GoldenEye, Supermarket, I mean, there's others, but GoldenEye was it at the time. So I'm going to ask you, our listeners, one very important thing. If there is something that we didn't talk about, let us know. Send us a, a, a tweet. It's at Nerdy Dadcast. Uh, feedback at Nerdy Dadcast is our email address. We have Facebook as well. Facebook.com slash Nerdy Dadcast. And we're very easily found. You know, tell us about what game it was that you grew up playing uh, that we failed to talk about. Because I will guarantee you it was probably not a matter of John and I not enjoying it. It was that there were so many really good games. It's like, how do you remember each and every one? And, you know, to the two of us, we talked about it, like not to suggest there were console wars, which there were, you followed just for purely financial reasons, originally a particular path, um, you know, just the way things were back in the day. So it's just possible. We knew about it. We might've played it with our friends, just didn't have the opportunity to, to fully immerse ourselves in it. But, uh, what final, uh, words of wisdom, uh, do you have to share with all of our, uh, our listeners? The most uh, important words there are. It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. Mm, it is very true. It's actually some of the most sage advice that you could ever give someone, uh, unless it was the Konami code, at which point it's up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, BA, start. Unless you're playing a two-player game. Then you hit select, start, uh, but, you know, the Konami code will uh, will set you free. So on behalf of John, myself, Chris, uh, you are listening to the Nerdy Dadcast. It would be awesome if you could click subscribe in whatever podcast app you happen to be listening to this in and tune in every couple of weeks as we provide you new content, talking a little bit about our journeys in the world of parenting, uh, the nerdy stuff that we get into from time to time, or like we just did in this episode, an entire episode of nerdiness. We'd also appreciate if you were to go and give us a review where you can, whether it be on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, but the easiest place to give us a review is by going to podchaser.com slash nerdydadcast. And to follow along, nerdydadcast.com is our website, and you can find out more about us there. Thank you for tuning in. See you again in a couple of weeks. And I ask you to do one very important thing, my friends. That is to stay nerdy. Stay nerdy.